Hello, dental online trainers, and welcome to the Dental Online Training Sharecast. I'm your host, Dr. Dennis Hartley. Each month, we'll talk with dental experts who are doing amazing work in the world of dentistry. Also, occasionally, I'm going to throw in a few of my solo bonding sharecasts where I share a little with you about what I've learned along the way during my career. So tune in the first Tuesday of every month to hear the latest episodes. Hello, Dental Online Trainers. Dr. Dennis Hartley back with you again for another ShareCast episode. Today, I am absolutely delighted to spend some time with a person that I'm just getting to know, Dr. Nate Lawson. If you don't know Nate Lawson, then you're not on Instagram. And if if you're on Instagram and you don't know uh, Nate, uh, you have to check out his um, Instagram handle, the Dental Tubes. Is that what it is? Dental? Uh, Dental Dental Tube. Yeah. Dental tube, which is really, really clever. And I always get upset when I see people have like really clever things like that, that I wish I would have thought of. So super cool. Got over 100,000 followers. And I think between your Instagram and Marcus Blatz's Instagram, um, if you want to learn dentistry, man, you just you just absorb yourself in those two and you, you're going to get so much impactful information on the materials that we're using every day in dentistry. Uh, before I bring Nate in, let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh Nate, I want to make sure I get this right. You're um, director of the Division of Biomaterial Sciences at University of Alabama, Birmingham, UAB. Um, you um, took over for a guy that I really beloved, John Burgess, who I had followed when his years when he was at LSU. Um, you are a graduate of UAB Dental School, right? And then you went on mm-hmm. in there. So I don't want to waste all the time me telling about the background because I think your background is super fascinating. So I'm going to um, I'm going to let you do all that. So thanks for joining me and everyone, Dr. Nate Lawson. Hi, Nate. Thank you. Thank you, Dennis. Thanks for thanks for um, having me. And um, yeah, this is kind of a neat thing to get to share a little bit about the journey of um, you know my path in, in dentistry. So yeah, I'm looking forward to talking with you and. Um, and 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 learning, you know, and, and sharing and and you know, learning your insight too from from your path. I'm sure we'll we'll touch on that too. But uh, yeah, I, I'm thanks for having me. Well, uh, we we share some similar paths. First of all, you're a Chicago guy. Um, yeah. You grew up in Chicago. I'm a I'm an adopted Chicago guy. I grew up in Detroit. Uh, I'm wearing my Michigan hat, so anyone on 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 YouTube can see this. It is uh, Michigan Michigan State Week, so I have to wear this all the time. Mm-hmm. So what we we affectionately call this Hate Week, because um, <laughs> this is a uh, we're we, there's no love lost between Michigan and Michigan State if you're a college football fan. You, you stay tuned for Saturday. Uh, <laughs> so anyhow, um, but I spent 25 years in Chicago. My practice is in the suburbs of Chicago, and so. Nate, um, let's just sort of kick it off. I know you come somewhat from a dental family, and that sort of inspired you into your dentistry. So tell me about your, I think it's your mom's side, right, that has a bunch of dentists, if I remember talking. Wow, you're good, Dennis. Good, they have a great memory. Um, yeah, so my my path to dentistry was like predetermined, I think, from like kindergarten. My uh, aunt was a pediatric dentist, and I used to, I mean, I had to go to her office starting off to get fillings done because... Um, I would, didn't start off with great oral hygiene, so she do do fillings on me and then kind of educate me on the importance of oral hygiene. And then I, I would go visit her in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where she lived, and I would um, kind of shadow in her practice. And um, I think, in, I don't know, there's some like little thing from third grade where I wrote down what I want to be. 
thought I'd, I'd maybe be like president of the United States or dentist. Those are some, some of my aspirations. And um, so, yeah, I, I, knew, I thought dentist was more realistic. And so when I was in college, I went to college. Um, I did biomedical engineering as my undergraduate. I mean, mostly because I was afraid of taking uh, foreign languages. That's where I made all my bad grades in, in, um, in high school. And so engineers don't have to do that. But I also really like math and physics and all that. Um, that was where my I got my best grade. So did biomedical engineering in college with the intent of with the complete intent of um, going into dental school, becoming a dentist, following the footsteps of not only my aunt as a pediatric dentist, I also had an uncle that was an endodontist in Albuquerque, and an aunt that was a um, um, uh, general dentist in uh, Blue Island, not far from um, you know up in the Rockland area. And um, so you were a two, you went to Tulane for your undergrad, correct? Yep, I went to yeah, Tulane. That- yeah, I just where my daughter went, so we have that connection. Oh, so Green nice. Wave. Yeah. And if yeah, you're a college that. football fan, Tulane's been doing really well over the last couple of years. So that's something fun also. I know that was surprising. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 I mean, and and I made that move, just could not stand. I mean, I love growing up in the Chicago area and I'll always be home for me, but it was just too cold. And so I just felt like and when I went down to New Orleans, I was like, I can wear flip flops, uh, you know, in December. And I was like, what have I been missing out on? all my life in this nice weather. So that, that was uh, actually my daughter also. She was down in Michigan and Tulane mm-hmm. and we had like one of the coldest winters ever. This was like 2015, 14, whatever it was. And she said, forget it. I'm, I'm done. And so that's why that was actually her motivation for Tulane. I mean, she loved the school and it was a great fit for her and stuff. But the the winters in, in the Midwest, yeah. she said, I'll come back to that. I got to get away for a little while. So great move on your part also. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It is is a different, I mean, it is weird that like the holidays is doesn't snow and we don't have that, that there's, there's some romantic part of snow that I miss, but like the practical part of snow, I don't miss at all. Um, Shoveling, getting stuck in it. Right. I got I got driving five miles an hour before I was, um, in the age of 16. So like in my first year, my driver's license just sliding on snow. And I was like, this is terrible. But um, so yeah, that's how I, that's honestly kind of how I ended up at, at at Tulane. I only wanted I only applied to Southern schools, and then um, and then I was doing biomedical engineering, and then in in order to get into dental school, I I figured I should do some research to help me get in, and so I just took a bus over to the LSU Dental School, which is in New Orleans, and I said, hey, I'm an engineer, I want to do some research. Somehow or another, I ended up in the office of John Burgess, and um. Kind of a funny story about that is that that year before I had been shadowing my uh, working as an assistant, I guess, in my aunt's dental practice in Albuquerque, and she was nice enough to take me to the American Academy of uh, Pediatric Dentistry uh, conference, which was in New York. I saw a guy who I still keep in touch with. I'm sure you know a guy named Ted Kroll. Pediatric oh, of course, yeah, right, yeah, real, real big. So he he was you know Ted Teddy's funny guy, and his lectures are always super funny. And so he was doing this thing where he got extracted teeth, he put a piece of floss in there and put sealants, tied it to bricks and held them upside down. And he was saying, oh, this is the retention of this sealant is two bricks and this one's three bricks. And I'm sitting there as an engineering student, not know anything. I'm just like, man, these uh, these dentists really could use some help as far as like, you know, <laughs> testing methodology. <laughs> Research mentalities. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that, you know, he's just doing this as a, you know. A, as a side something to a visual I mean, now I would now I'd rather see bricks held upside down than an instrument machine because it's just more visual something I would do now but um anyhow I went back to, to Burgess and I said you know I went, I went to a research meeting on dentistry and I saw how they're testing <laughs> sealants with the bricks and everything it's like I, I bet we could 
do stuff at Tulane where we've got machines and stuff and do other kinds of research. And I had these, <laughs> literally, I'd drawn out little pictures on pieces of paper of some ideas I had. And he was kind enough to like entertain my crazy uh, first meeting. And he kind of sent me down into the basement lab of LSU. And I think he, he'll, he'll say later, it was kind of like a test just to see like, Will this guy actually come down to the lab and 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 do anything? And, and um, because I'm sure he had tons of pre dental students come and ask to work in his lab. And so I just say I guess I kept on coming back long enough. And then Burgess, um, he he always one of the things I always liked about Burgess is he kind of had this mentoring style where it was like he wouldn't hold you back. He kind of just um, yeah give you give you a project, kind of let you run with it. Kind of give at least that's what he always did with me. Kind of let me try things out um, and then gave me an environment to work in and, and that, that worked really well for me. So I'd come down to the lab and, and do some research uh, projects with him. And um, we did that for probably a, whole, a year. He sent me to a research meeting in Baltimore or something like that. And um, I, I really I really liked it. I mean, I didn't really have the intent to do what I'm doing now from that. I still thought I was going to go to dental school, but I was having a great time. I think the next year he gave me a, a job where I could go down in the lab and like I was a lab manager. By that time, I think I got my mom's old minivan, so I didn't have to take the bus anymore. So I could actually, I didn't have to, yeah, which was a miserable bus ride down through New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. Not a good part of town to the dental school. And um, so, yeah, I'd drive my minivan in there and I'd like have a little vacuum cleaner that I bought, a shop vac that my parents gave me money to buy so I could like clean the the machines off. And I was probably making like $10 an hour and I thought it was right. like amazing. And um and there were people, I remember another funny story about that. You talk about Marcus Blatz. I remember Marcus Blatz was at the LSU dental school. And that time um, he would he had a, a machine down in the research lab he would use. And he came down one day and he had some visitors. And um, he asked me, there was a machine there. And he looked at it. He said, uh, you know, uh, this is some profilometer machine that we have. And he, and he I was just working there. He said, do you know what the resolution on this? And I thought about it and I, I gave him a, thought about how to measure resolution. I told him and I, he just said, you're a smart kid. And that, that was always my first memory of Marcus. <laughs> I like that guy. He called me smart kid. Uh, and he used to come down there and work. There's a bunch of, like, there was, LSU was just so heavy with oh. like, Abishai Saddam was down there. George Sheets was running the Frost program and he brought in some of the the finest educators um, and brains. Yeah. Abishai, who's at Case Western, right? I think he's uh, had a Case Western now. And I, I yeah, I don't know if he's still there. I, mean, I remember he went there. Um, did he go to somewhere in California after? I don't know. But yeah, there was. I mean, there was like a powerhouse of all these yeah. people down in that research lab doing doing research and clinical research facility there. And then the crazy thing about that was then in like 2005, we heard about. You know, we had a number of hurricanes would come through. I mean, right. I don't probably remember. You'd get like a one or two hurricanes every year, and it'd be fun. You'd go and like evacuate to Houston and just have a party, and you come back to school. And so that's what we thought was going to happen with Katrina. Right. So we, Burgess, was like, oh, just put all the stuff in bags, and we'll, we try to cover some of the instruments because we thought, oh, maybe we get a little flooding in the basement. And as it turns out, you know, the entire bottom floor, the first two floors, I think, of the dental school were were flooded and and totally um, destroyed. So that was my senior year. So I left. I actually went to Case Western for that semester. Um, and uh, did a semester there, which was a really hard engineering program. I didn't like it at all. Oh, yeah, just feeling. And uh, but I, I was then I applied to dental school, and um, my intent. So I, I had gotten into Penn, and I was going to go to Penn for dental school. Everything turned in. I was had my whole future planned out to go to go there. And then Burgess gives me a call um, the summer before starting dental school and said, "Hey, Nate, 
would you want to come to Alabama? Because he had moved to Alabama after Katrina. Right. Because so. it was shut down with Tulane or with uh, LSU shut down. You know, I want to step back for one oh, yeah, thing. People who don't know John Burgess. Um, so Burgess is huge in research. He's one of the big names. So if you just Google John Burgess, if you're interested in research. But I think with what they were doing at LSU, and you can talk on this because I think this is really important, is what Burgess was doing. He was bringing clinical stuff, clinical research, and then looking at things under the la- in the lab. So we're doing both lab, like in vivo studies and in vitro studies and seeing, um, seeing how materials, if it met, I mean, to me, it seemed like what I was seeing was you could test things in the lab and there could be a significant difference. But then you, when you do stuff in the mouth, there may not be a difference at all. And so oh, there yeah. may not be a clinical significance. And I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but it seemed like for me, it was like, like Burgess sort of pulled that together for me was like, just because there's in lab research that shows something, it may not be clinically significant. And that was the one hearing John, that's when it first rang a bell to me on thinking through some of the research I was reading and stuff. Is, is that accurate? Did I get that right with John? Yeah. I mean, cause he, uh, he always, I mean, at LSU, I mean, I knew less about the bigger picture, what he was doing, but when he came to UAB, I think he was doing the similar thing where it was, it was always like a two prong approach where there was a, a clinical research center and a laboratory, um, and he'd be simultaneously running clinical trials and laboratories trials, not necessarily about the same topics, but he always had kind of both um, running. And yeah, I mean, the laboratory trials definitely, um, you know, that that was kind of like the goal. I mean, that that was, uh, you know, the most relevant thing was how material form clinically. And you're right. I mean, it's it was much harder to see differences between materials clinically. Like if you could see a clinical difference between materials, it was like, wow, then that's a real, you right. know, in the lab, you might see a, a 10 megapascal bond strength difference between something, but it might not necessarily show up in the lab. So I felt like with, I mean, and, and I have to be honest, I was never as like, with my little engineering brain, the clinical research trials were always challenging for me because I was like, there's so much variability and it's so hard to do. And oh. dealing with patients and the recalls and like right. trying to remain objective when you're evaluating things. I mean, he he was really passionate about that. And that was less so one of my strengths. Like mm-hmm. I love the lab because everything is controlled, controlled. the lab. And um, but I mean, you, he's right. You're right. I mean, it's definitely more clinically relevant what you can see in a in a clinical trial. But the clinical trials is like they're very time consuming to do. They're very long. Um to do, and you can only do a couple of them, and you need to ha- get funding to do that. I was going to ask about that. It's hard to get funding on those. I'm sure they're very expensive, right? Yeah. I mean, most of the time, I mean, clinical research uh, for something like dental materials is, is almost always going to be funded by industry. So it's going to be kind of like what is industry interested in testing at the time? I mean, it's. I think it's noble that the, that the companies will invest in doing clinical trials because they don't have to do that. So it's not like I'm saying that it's, it's bad that industry is funding them. It's always good when a company is going to release something new and they're willing to do a clinical research trial to prove that it's, you know, good material. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're, you know, we, we could only run, um, I think in the heyday of when I was there and when our, when my time and Burgess's time overlapped, we were running maybe a couple clinical trials that were going on at a time. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he was he was great at that. I mean, and that's he still is great at that. He's he's um still running clinical trials. So I um I have stopped. It's it was too it was too stressful for me to be a PI on clinical trials because 
I just couldn't I couldn't deal with some of the variability of it. And I just right. like I like the lab and but I, I do struggle with the fact that it's like clinical trials are, are more realistic. But one of the Burgess's big things was always whenever we're working in the lab, try to make the lab setup replicate the clinical situation as much as possible. So that was one I, I felt like one of his big things too was you know, modifying some of these research protocols so that they're more closely following what's going on in the mouth. Um, yeah. You did a presentation for the restorative academy. I know we've gotten off topic. We'll get back on, but this sort of, sort of follows along because you're, you had an 18 minute presentation and it was awesome because your 18 minute presentation was on a porcelain restoration that debonds. Yeah. Patient comes in, in your case, you had, you showed an onlay that had debonded and then you went through the protocols. Do you burn it out? Do you sandblast it? What do you sandblast it with? Do you use a burr? And so this is totally, totally clinically relevant. This is stuff that we deal with, unfortunately, all the time, yeah. right? And then yeah. this, so this is bringing it home. And I, I loved it. In 18 minutes, it was such a great take-home message um, that is a reality of us in practice. And I think that's where I think you've done so well with the stuff that Burgess was doing is that you have stuff, your stuff is so clinically relevant. This is stuff that we, that we need every day in practice. So as a, as an adjunct to what you were saying, I think that, that was, a, that was an awesome, awesome presentation. I just wanted to share that with you. Oh, thanks. No, that's a great memory too. Uh, sometimes, I mean, th th that, um, often hear that study, I mean, we actually ended up publishing that study too. And I often hear it like misquoted as to, sometimes like the, um, you know, when I, my like my way of liking to do things when I do a presentation is like show people the what the different options are and then how I've narrowed them down to which one why I would think a certain one is best. Sometimes I worry it confuses people because I've heard people say, "Oh, you talked about burning it out," and it's like I talked about that one. That would not necessarily be the one that I would do or grinding it out. But yeah, that you had a, that was you might remember that presentation perfectly. Um, so yeah, that was that 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 is something I. Uh, yeah, I think I'm, I, I probably picked that up from Burgess, this idea of like not doing research just for the sake of doing it, like trying to find clinical problems and and addressing those clinical problems with the research you do. And, so, and sometimes I get a little frustrated even because in the in the science world, sometimes the ones like if you try to get something published, they want it, they're almost looking at it from like a non-clinical perspective where they're saying like, if you want to test the way to clean you know, cement out of Emacs, you need to set up an experiment where you test every combination of like oh. sandblasting pressures and, you know, sandblast it with fetching sand. And, and it's like, you've, you've gotten in this huge matrix of groups that you have to test where some of these were things you would never even do clinically, but just right. so that when you publish it, you can do statistics on it. And, and, uh, and sometimes it that prohibits you from doing the research project or being able to find out anything meaningful. And so, yeah, I've always trying to, I guess that's the, that's, Kind of the role of the clinician researcher is when you set up these experiments, try to think, okay, what are people going to try to do clinically, and let's test those and find out what properties will be important for you know the clinical outcomes. Like if you're testing cleaning cement out of Emacs, like one, how can you clean it out to get a good bond, and then two, how do you clean it out so you don't decrease the strength of the Emacs because that's those would be the two things I'd care about clinically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. perfect. Yeah, um, I got more stuff. We'll we'll talk more more research stuff because that's uh, I I found it so fascinating. I'll tell you my story down the road. But anyhow, so um, as I remember, um, you were as you were saying you were you were going off to Penn, but then you oh, yeah. were just sort of re reunited. Yeah. So then he told me about this DMD PhD program that was going on at, at UAB, which is a you know for anybody listening who knows anybody 
pre-dental. It's a, it's a program that still exists. There's two ways to do it. There's at UAB, we had and still have something called a T32 grant, which is an institutional grant from the NIH, which gives funding for students that want to get their dental degree and their PhD. So like in my particular case, I think I paid like $8,000 a year for dental school and I had like a $24,000 stipend wow. um, while I was in dental school. Yeah, I actually like saved enough money from my $24,000 a year stipends that I bought a Kia at the end of my program. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, so the um, that was a that was a pretty good deal. So I, I think that's, um, yeah, Burgess kind of changed my trajectory. And then um, there was a, the head of that program, someone named Mary McDougall, who's now a dean in um, UBC. And she was kind of like my research mama when I was in, in dental school, my mentor and uh, from a research perspective. And so the, the two of them kind of got together and, and kind of helped guide me in this path to do, to do that program. It was, it was a hard decision for me because Alabama might not have been the place where I thought I wanted. It definitely wasn't the place where I thought I wanted to live because I know nobody here. Right. It was so different from um, the Midwest land and Midwest and even different from, from New Orleans. There's not a lot of transplants. Like my dental school was predominantly people from the Southeast and from in Alabama. So it was, it was hard for me. I got to not have a good experience in dental school socially. Like that, it was just hard for me. I didn't know a lot of people. Um, and I wasn't a, trying to balance the two programs. My grades were not very good in school. Mm-hmm. Like I failed my first semester of clinic. Like I went in there when, uh, at the end of the semester, my academic dean called me and he, and I thought it was, I was like, oh, I probably got to be in this class and, in, in, um, in my clinic class. And he's like, you failed it. I was like, a what? <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, you failed it. I was like, well, that's news to me, but, um, not, I, it's not totally unexpected. I didn't think I was doing great. I thought it was at least going to hopefully make a B. Um, so yeah, I, I, they were getting there, thought about making me repeat the year, but they said, let's see how you do next semester. And I tried to pull together and got that B and, uh, you know, and they said, you know, you didn't hit improved. And, um, and, and I think they gave me some leniency because I was doing the combined program. So dental school is not easy for me. Me neither. So, hey, you know, it's, it's interesting you, you bring this up because I, I tell you what got me through dental school. I, I, I struggled through dental school. It was really hard for me. Um, you know, from, I personally have to learn over and over and again for me to re, for me to retain. And, you know, in dental school, man, there's so much information. It's oh, yeah. sipping out of a fire hose, right? And yeah. and I don't have that kind of memory. I And so the reason I remember about your presentation is because I took down notes and then I review my notes. And so that's how I remember that stuff. So I'm not like this natural learner. In dental school, it just came at me so fast and I was around such brilliant people. And the yeah. only thing that got me through it was, quite honestly, the social environment, the people that were in dental school with me. Um, it was like Band of Brothers. They got me through, man. I- I'll tell you a story. I've told this before, but you'll love this story. Okay. I was uh, studying for gross anatomy and at University of Michigan. Michigan's like an intense place for, for undergrad. And on a typical Friday and Saturday night, the libraries are packed. And this particular Saturday night, I was studying in the law school. And the law school library is like something out of Oxford. It's this stained glass, majestic building. It looks some, like out of Harry Potter. And it's all these pews that are long tables that are set up. And I'm sitting in the very back row facing the very back of the room. So I'm not disrupted. I'm studying gross anatomy and it's around midnight on a Saturday night. And all of a sudden I start hearing people laugh and people don't laugh in the law, in the law school, right? In the law library. And without even turning around, I just start closing my books because I know it's going to be about me because it's kind of classmates I had. 
And uh-huh. four of my classmates came in with nylons over their head and hoodies, and they literally picked me up out of my chair and said, this is the last time you're studying on a Saturday night in dental school. And they literally <laughs> picked me up, they grabbed my backpack, they threw me in the back of the Jeep, and they, they drove me to a party. And I tell you, it was that's that's literally what got me through dental school. And so I can understand if socially you're not in a great position. If you're someone like me, man, I I would I don't know if I would have made it because uh, for me the rigors of dental school were 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 really immense. And so I get it. I I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Oh no, that's. I mean, I I don't my like my classmates were all nice. I still keep in touch with a lot of them. Yeah, and I didn't. And in no way, I mean, my they weren't friendly. I guess it was, yeah, it was just, it was hard for me because I didn't totally feel in it. Part of it was probably me. I just didn't totally feel like I fit in. I didn't have family. I didn't know the area. And, um, yeah, it was just, so that, that, that part of it made it tough. And then also me, dental school is just hard. I remember like coming into dental school cause I made really good grades in college and engineering. I was like, Oh, if I can make good grades in engineering in college, like dental school is going to be a breeze. And then I got in there and I was like, Nope, this was not the same. Yeah. I think part of it comes down to the like like you're saying like dental school is a little bit different and there's like just so much information thrown at you and I was always struggled kind of with an engineering background it's like they would give us pieces of paper in engineering tests where you write down all your formulas you just have to apply them like everything was about applying knowledge and in dental school it's maybe a little bit less like that it's a lot of like what color is the you know what gas comes out of this color cylinder yeah. and it's like right oh like that was arbitrary like it should be written on the cylinder what gas is like, <laughs> what color it is like that doesn't seem like something i should have to memorize and so and i felt like almost critical thinking was not you know not necessarily taught taught as much and i do think that that's something that um i think about now when when you know as a, as a dental educator is that like um, concepts, you know, like, why do we do the things that we do? And like some of the things that we do in dentistry, I wonder like, why do, why do we do them? Like, you know, the, the critical, um, you know, evaluation of, of our procedures in, in dentistry. That's why I guess it's fun to be a researcher, um, right. to come back and be like, you know, some of these things that I was supposed to memorize in dental school and I always wonder why we did them. We can test them and see. Why do we do that? Well, and I think in dentistry, it really lends itself to dogma, at least uh, historically, because yeah. it was so much of what we learned was anecdotal, right? This is, and this is, and they were, and it seems like the more something is anecdotal, <clears throat> excuse me, the more people like will defend it and the more dogmatic it becomes. Um, yeah. I just saw a speaker, nationally renowned speaker, I won't say who it was, but you know, there was much stuff that he could say that he could base up with science, but the stuff that he was anecdotal about, he seemed like he defended that even more because mm-hmm. it becomes very personal, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and I think that's what sort of the generation that I grew up with in dentistry that, um, so then it became difficult when you would see things that weren't working out clinical practice. Because they said, well, this, they said that this was going to work, so I must be a crappy dentist because it's not working when I do it. And then they're yeah. just, it, you know, who knows, right? But I think I think you raise a good point about that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, where did that leave? Uh, yeah, then, then, yeah, then I ended up, I did that program in, um, at UAB, the DMD PhD program, got, got through it. So is that five years? How long did that take? It was it was six, which six, um, it felt like forever to me. I realized okay. that six years is, is not a very long time to try to get a PhD and to get a, um, a dental degree. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I would say that probably what was um, not as rigorous was the, the PhD portion of it. I mean, the dental school, they really didn't cut. They're not like, oh, well, you don't have to take, uh, you know, this 
fixed class does. Like they, you, they made sure like if you're going to get a license, you're going to have to do everything just like everyone else. And so that that part, there's nothing that got cut. I think it was probably some of the the piece was a little bit more lenient um, in the program. Uh, I mean, we tried to make up for the shortened time. Like all of our holiday breaks were supposed to be in the lab and summers were in the lab and it right. kind of made you know dental school which isn't that fun of an experience um a little even more stressful i did like the research so it wasn't like i would say miserable it was just stressful um and then so yeah then i finished that program in 2012 is when i finished the phd portion are, are there other programs like like michigan i think used to have something like that i don't know if they still do or not i mean i know michigan's their their uh, materials is completely different than what you're doing down there. It's completely changed into sort of biomaterials and stuff. Oh yeah, no, I, um, there's definitely other schools that have the institutional grant. I didn't finish saying that. There's, so there's an institutional grant called a T32, and I think Michigan has one as well. And there's a number of schools other than UAB that that have them, which basically just means if you're a pre-dental student, you apply to that dental school. You know, once you get accepted in the program, you know that you're going to have funding that's going to pay. Every school is a little different, like how much of your tuition you pay and what kind of stipends you're going to get. And then you could, then other schools, you can go to them and apply for an individual F30 grant. Um, I, th I think that's still what they're called, where you could say, I want to do my PhD and dental school at the same time. And if your school is willing to help you do the scheduling, you apply for this grant and that provides funding to help pay for some of your dental school and, and a tuition. So these there's some schools that have it available as an individual grant. Some have institutional grants and they're still, like we still have, like we have students currently at UAB that are in that DMD um, PhD uh, program. And so there, I know there's other schools that have that. Um, I remember when I was in dental school, I bought the domain name dmd-phd.com and I tried to make a list of all the schools that had it to make it uh -huh. easier to find them. I'm sure, I don't know if that, you know, what uh, I didn't keep up with it for more than two years or something. But yeah, I don't know where you'd go to find all of the different options now, but I'm sure there's a way to find it. During your, so like, I'm thinking back to freshman year, D1 year of dental school. So were you also at that time also doing stuff for your PhD while you were trying to manage all the, all the, the basic yeah. science stuff you had to learn? Jeez Louise. Yeah. My first year of dental, well, my first year of dental school was split in two. My first year I got my master's and did a bunch of engineering courses and did research in the lab and then took some of the biomedical courses. And then my second year of dental, my second year I took all the clinical and and the rest of the biomedical courses at dental school while trying to work in the lab and propose and um, get through my proposal for my PhD. Oh. And then my second year, my third year was just like regular second year dental school, just in my breaks I was doing research. So it was like, um, yeah, I mean, did I you sleep. Um, I definitely did. I mean, I I wouldn't say like I said, I wasn't the best student ever because also simultaneously. I realized that like when I was in college, like I said, I was a really good student and I made, I don't think I made any B's in college. Like I, I was like very serious at Tulane, no, mm -hmm. which is unusual because there's so much fun stuff to do. So then I kind of <laughs> felt like by the time I was in, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be spending all of my, the rest of my twenties in school here because of the added years of the PhD. I was like, I need to have some enjoyment in life. So yeah. then I tried to like make the best of my years in Birmingham to like go out and have fun that I never had in college. And I was like, it was just too, like trying to do the things together. I just should have had the fun in college. <laughs> well, then you wouldn't end up in dental school. So, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's true. Know. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I don't know what, where uh, I wouldn't like model, um, my 
I don't know if I would do it again the same way if I had to do it again. Like, I mean, so yeah, dental school was, was a little bit um, rough for me. And I can't say that I like loved, I don't know. I now I, I, I'm so passionate about what I do. Like, I love it. Like, I love learning about dentistry. And like I mentioned to you offline, like when I was watching, you know, when you gave oh, your webinar and I'm like sitting there learning about how you do dentistry. And it's like, I, I was just like watching the best television show ever, or the best movie ever, just like, um, you know, learning from experts like, like you and learning about dentistry. And, and, and I'm so passionate about it. I don't know that I didn't have that when I was in, I guess I was just trying to get through it. And but right. People just trying to get through it. And, That's uh, how I was too. Yeah, I, I had no idea how much I would love it because I was so, I was almost like I was just getting, just trying to stay afloat, you know? It's like I was uh -huh. like thrown in the water and I was just struggling to stay afloat. And I couldn't, like I couldn't put all the stuff together. It was like, it was so hard just just for me, just sort of getting it all in just, um, but now, now when you're out and practicing it, now I've just absolutely just adore it. But it, uh, yeah. it, took, a, it took a while for me. Yeah, it was tough. Hey, Dental Online Trainers, it's Dr. Dennis Hartley popping in to let you know that this is actually a two-part interview with Dr. Nate Lawson. Thank you for listening for this first part with Dr. Lawson when we talked about things like what it was like in dental school, how he got interested in research and his experience at LSU, and then later on when he was at University of Alabama, Birmingham, where he is now. In the part two portion of our interview, which will be dropped in two weeks, you can hear Dr. Lawson give his thoughts and his advice on what do you do as a young dentist coming out of school, and what's it like working for a DSO, and how did he manage some of those challenges? We'll also talk about his experiences in dentistry, which I think are absolutely fascinating. So I hope you'll join us for the second part of our conversation with Dr. Nate Lawson in just a couple of weeks. And until then, thank you again for listening and yours for better dentistry. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartlieb. If you enjoyed this and you want to get more information from Dental Online Training, then check us out at dothandson.com. That's one word, dothandson.com. Now, as a reminder, DOT has so many other great opportunities for your learning. We have our Wine and Unwind monthly webinars where we engage real-time with our viewers as we bring in leaders throughout the dental industry to bring you up-to-date information and answer your questions. We have our monthly Coffee and Donut Study Club sessions where our participants bring in cases and we treatment plan these cases together to help you with the dentistry that you provide for your patients. We have our live virtual workshops where our dental online trainers perform the same techniques from their kits in the comfort of their own home or office as I'm doing the same procedure under our video camera. We have our blogs and we have an endless selection of hands-on pre-recorded technique courses to help you improve the quality of the clinical dentistry that you provide for your patients. That's right. With our on-demand courses, you do these hands-on exercises when the time is right for you. So check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at Dental Online Training. And hey, be sure to share this with your friends and colleagues who you think might benefit from this Sharecast and everything that we have to offer with Dental Online Training. And hey, how about one of those coveted five-star ratings? We would love it and appreciate it if you could take the time and just give us one of those great five-star ratings. This episode was created with special help from Claire O'Neill. It was edited by Ashley Dickinson Ellison and with original music by Chris Peterson. Again, thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartlieb, yours for better dentistry.